Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Wise Athletes Podcast, where we invite you to join our journey to understand how older athletes can achieve high performance and longevity in athletics. I am Joe Lavelle with Dr. Glenn Winkle, and this is episode 16 of our podcast. Today, we are joined by Mindy Stevenson, who is the current Masters World Champion in Team Pursuit. Mindy has been winning races on the velodrome for many years. After winning the Masters World Championship in Team Pursuit in 2019, Mindy discovered she had bladder cancer. Listen in as Mindy walks us through her racing as an elite cyclist and her later return to racing as a Masters athlete to become world champion. Mindy also describes her battle with cancer and how her coach and team are so important to her fight. In the interview, Mindy spoke of defending her world championship in 2021, but subsequent to that recording, Mindy has announced she is no longer pursuing the 2021 world championship, but instead is dedicating 2021 to being healthy and having fun. As always, Glenn and I hope you find this information helpful in your quest to become a wise athlete. I'm here with Mindy Stevenson and Glenn Winkle, and we're here to talk to Mindy about her athletic career and her current challenge that she's working through, which is a diagnosis of cancer and treatment that she's undergoing. We're going to hear about all of that and how she's continuing to use athletics as a part of her life to make her life better. So, Mindy, yes. thanks for joining Glenn and I today. Thanks for having me. We've known each other for a while now. I'm not sure if I knew you before uh, Boulder Valley Velodrome. No, I don't think we did. I remember yeah. seeing you there many times and racing against you many times. And and I remember hearing from Pat McDonough about the old days. Before you were a, an elite master's athlete, you were just a pure old elite athlete and had some great results. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit of your athletic history. Sure. I... I mean, I started out as a runner in high school and I ran in college for a year and it was kind of at the early stages of triathlons and I actually wanted to be a triathlete. So I was doing all three disciplines and had moved to Michigan to be with my dad. Long story, I just fell in love with the bike. I dropped everything else and we joined a local club, Schwinn Wolverines which is one of the oldest clubs in the country and just got into their club, started doing their club rides, not really knowing about racing, but that was 1984. The Olympics were coming up and I doing these training rides. And then I watched the Olympics, the women's road race. And I was like, that's what I want to do. So I focused strictly on racing of the bike. And I ended up in a kind of a subspecialty of track racing and found out that I was better at track racing than I was at just purely road riding. I'm kind of a middle distance type athlete. I, I'm not good at super long distances and I'm not a sprinter. So I kind of fell in the middle. The coach at the time, Mike Walden, he's deceased now. He ended up being my coach for the nine years that I was on the national team. And he kind of, he noticed right away, you're not a sprinter. You're not really a true roadie. You're a crit rider and you're going to be a pursuer. So he told me what I was going to do, which was a good thing because it really fit my body type. And I went to my first national championships in 85. I got fourth in all the events I entered. 
And that got me a spot on the national development team. So I went to a camp and that kind of started it off. The next year in 86, being on being on the development team, you're not like truly on the national team. It's, it's like provisional in a way. And they were having trials for the Goodwill Games. And since I was there at a camp, they invited me to do the trials for the Goodwill Games. And Eddie B didn't really like me because I was a Mike Walden athlete. So they said I could go ahead and ride to try to make the Goodwill team. Well, I won the first ride against Patty Peoples, Betsy Davis, Peggy Moss, and Eddie B didn't like that. And he said, well, we're going to do another one. <laughs> so <laughs> Those were athletes he coached, is that right? Yes. So they made me do another one. And I had no idea what I was doing. I just went out and just rode 3K as hard as I could. I really wasn't a true pursuiter yet. I didn't really know how to ride it. I just had talent and I just went and rode my ass off. Well, I won the second round. He didn't like that either. So we did a third one that day and I won that again. <laughs> so I'm surprised he didn't make you do it without tires on your or wheels something. or something. Well, anyway, so at that point, um, Sue Navarro Reber was the women's track coach. And she said, okay, Eddie, that's enough. Like she's clearly the best one. We're sending her. So it ended up being myself and Patty Peoples going to the Goodwill Games. So then I was like kind of officially on the national team. Yeah, my first time out of the country was Moscow and to the Goodwill Games. I got second and I got third in the points race. And then that was it. That was all she wrote after that. Then I just, I was on the national team for nine seasons. After that, um, I won three national pursuit championships many medals in other events. You know, I did kilo and I did points race. Um, I did some sprints, but the pursuit ended up, that was my sweet spot. And then I did crits. Crits was my other specialty. I got many medals, you know, second and a lot of second and thirds at the national crit championships, but I never won. Just won a lot of other races, traveled domestically with the national team. And then I retired in 92. Um, 92 was going to be the first year that the pursuit was in the Olympics. And um, Rebecca Twig came out of retirement and beat us all. And so I didn't make the team and I decided to retire. I didn't know if I could support myself for four more years to wait till 96. So I decided to just retire, which was probably in hindsight a little too early for me to retire. Um, but I did. And then, long story short, career kids in 2016, I decided that I wanted to bike race again. So I called Pat McDonough, who had run the Trexler Town Velodrome and also coached me a little bit when Mike wasn't available. And I started racing again, and that was it. Nice. The 88 Olympics, I guess, would have been an ideal spot for you, but the U.S. didn't go to that one, right? Eh? No, we went to the 88 Olympics. Um, that was only road. There was no track that year. I did the road trials and I ended up in the front group until the final climb. And so I had hope there were 10 of us in the, in the final group on the final climb. And then Inga, who's a very good friend of mine, just put the hammer down and I just blew up. So like I said, I'm not a true roadie. And when the climbing gets super, super hard, it's just, you know, not quite in my wheelhouse. But I thought if I could hang on through that last climb, I could win the sprint. But it just wasn't meant to be. So I limped in around 10th or 12th place, something like that. 
and they only took, I think, two or three that year. Okay. But we did go to world. So when we weren't, so if you were a track athlete and because there were no events at, at the Olympics for track, we, I still went to worlds that year and all the other years. In 88, I went to worlds and won a bronze medal at the nice. world championship. So I have two bronze medals from the world championship and two fourth places from the world championships during those years where there were no, no track events at the Olympics. Well, that's an impressive track record. Are you about to tell us how you transitioned into uh, masters? Well, I was just going to say, um, yeah, so then when I took all that time off and I wanted to come back, you know, I, my first love has always been track racing. So I immediately reached out to Pat. Actually, it was a really funny conversation because I said, hey, Pat, I want to start racing on the track again. And he goes, oh, you do? And I was like, yeah, I've been riding on the road. I'm pretty fit. I'd been doing a lot of just road riding and climbing. So I had a good fitness base, but I didn't have like, you know, my sprint legs or anything like that. But I had good fitness. And he said, well, you have to come get certified on the track. And I said, what do you mean? I rode, raced the track. <laughs> I'm not going to let you race on the track unless you come get certified. And I said, well, I've raced on every board track in Europe, 180s, 250s, 300s. Like, he's like, no, 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 no. You've been off too long. So he made me come back and get certified, which was fun. It was fine and fun to do. And I'm actually glad I did it. I ended up helping Pat teach the class the second day. So kind of funny. So then that was it. I was certified and then I was ready to go. And where was that? Was that in Colorado Springs or was that in? um, That was in Boulder Valley Velodrome. Yeah. Right. Everything came back super quick. You know, I think just since I had so many years, I had 23 years off of never being on a velodrome. He just thought it was, I'm glad he made me do that. That's where I got certified to ride track. And that was a life-changing experience for me. I sort of had my arm twisted to go to the track, going around and around in circles. How, how <laughs> boring could you get? Oh. <laughs> it really cemented my love for cycling. Uh, it was so exciting. It was that three-dimensional chess. It was, And I had never raced anything on a bike and had no intention of it until I was on the track and I would see the races and I was determined to do that. Uh, I was terrified of it, Uh, (laughs) but I was determined to do it. And eventually I did. And that got me then into other racing. Of course, riding and racing on the track and then racing crits is uh, what sent me to the hospital on numerous occasions, and uh, and if it weren't for Zwift, I'd be done with racing. It's funny because I absolutely cannot stand to Zwift. <laughs> <laughs> I, that is funny. I I did it for about a year, and I I just I don't know. I don't. I'd rather Sarah give me a workout, and I'll just pound it out and turn the TV on. I do not know. I didn't like my Wahoo kicker, the delay. I really, I bought a new set of rollers where you can um, engage it and so that it makes it more like a road feel. So I can go from a road feel to just a regular roller feel, feel. And then I have just a regular old trainer, like old Tommy trainer. I actually sold my Wahoo. I just, I told Sarah, I'm never, I hated it. There was always such a delay and, um, I don't know, just for me, I was, I'm just a no, and I don't do, what's that other Strava? I just, I refuse to do Strava. I think I'm too competitive, and 
<laughs> I think I was going to be like insane, like, oh, I have to go beat so-and-so. And I just decided not to do it because all my friends were getting crazy with Strava. So I just. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're good enough that being king or queen of the mountain every time you go ride is a possibility, then Strava could really kill you. I don't have this problem. <laughs> The couple of times I've gotten a KOM, it's been on like January 3rd of the year and doing some obscure route. And, you know, and I take a screenshot of it and I save it forever. Uh, but I don't get many of those. Yeah, I just, I don't, I just decided I know my personality well enough that I'm just going to not do it. And when I was racing, in all honesty, I didn't want my competitors knowing what I was doing. And that was the other thing for me. I I prefer to kind of train in quiet. You know, I live in the mountains anyway, and I'm in my own little world in the, my own little hole up here, do my thing and show up. I just don't want people to know what I'm doing, where I am. Oh, she rode 50 miles or didn't ride. I just, <laughs> I'm super private with all my training like that. Sure. Well, you were telling us before I grabbed control you were telling us about how you had gotten back into cycling uh, after 20 x years off yep. and gotten certified at the boulder valley velodrome and please continue well that was it i just it was 2016 in april of 2016 and i started racing that year and just it, I just realized how much I missed and loved track racing. And I just focused on that and crits. I did a few, I've done a few road races here and there, but for the most part, I just tried to focus on track and crits. Um, I didn't go to the first year, 2016 Worlds, which were in England. I chose to opt to wait until 2017. I was training with Colby Pierce at the time. And I got, I think, third in everything I entered that year. And then 2018, I got second in everything I entered. And then 2019, we went to eat back to, everything was back in England. And I won him finally after racing my bike for, since I was 23, it took me 30 something years to finally win a world championship. But I <laughs> the team pursuit in the 55 plus. It was amazing. Nice. And you got to wear the uh, the rainbow stripes. Yeah, I get to wear a rainbow forever now. And I just remember crossing the line and being like, did that just happen? Did <laughs> I mean, we caught them. We caught them in, in seven laps. We, in, in wow. a 16 lap race, we, we, our strategy was we all decided that we were just going to go out really hard and hang on because they almost beat us. The Brits almost beat us in the qualifying round and we almost qualified second. So then we ended up meeting them again in the final and I, I'm starter and I don't know. I just had like major fire in my butt and I just, I got off the line quicker than I've ever gotten off the line and I just went for it and everybody got in line behind me and then I did two and then here comes Gail and what was really funny, at the end of two laps, I could see the Brits out of the corner of my eye. So we'd made up a half a lap after two laps. Whoa. And, and I'm like, holy shit, either we're going to all blow up or we're going to catch them. And so I swung up and went back to the back. And Gail just freaking put the hammer down more. And I'm thinking, I got to hang on. So I'm sitting there in the back thinking, this is awesome. She made up another like quarter lap. 
And then it was um, Liz. Gwen was fourth position, our other teammate. Liz, she had just won the pursuit in the 60 plus. She was dialed in and she just hunted them down like a rabbit because I thought we were going to all take some more turns and we were just screaming at her, go, go, go. And she just like hunted them down. And then we passed them right on our, on our start line. Oh, it was six laps. Sorry. Cause that was the end of her two. And then they blew the gun, but the Brits swung up. So they swung to the top and we were coming in behind them. They didn't leave us enough room at the top. And I was seriously thought we were all going to crash because I literally squeaked by Liz and Gail, like brushing elbows right at the rail. And I just remember having to stay on it really, really hard because I had to go all the way to the top. And I'm thinking, I'm either going to (laughs) crash. We're all going to crash because the Brits gave us no room. And then finally, on the other side, we were screaming at them, give us room, because we were all just jammed up at the top, and they didn't realize we were that close on their butts. And then when we came back around the other side, I just remember looking at Rich going, we just did this? Like, it was just so cool. It was the, it was the coolest experience ever. Yes, it sounds very exciting. Uh, I regret that I never did go to Track Worlds. Uh, not that I would have won anything, but it would have been an exciting experience. It was... It was um, I love that track. It rides so much better than LA. It rides a lot like, I mean, maybe Glenn can chime in. It rides a lot like probably BVV, but it's just a beautiful track. The facilities are just impeccable. I mean, I really had a good time, although I was sick and didn't know it, but I was really sick. I felt horrible at Worlds. Mm-hmm. That's a fantastic track. Yeah. I loved it myself too. LA can't compare. We're going to be in LA this year, this October. So we yeah. got to just deal with LA. It's better than, uh, you know, what else is out there. So, Hey. Yeah. And I don't mind LA. I just think LA is just an odd, it's just odd. Odd shape. Yeah. Yeah. It's just weird. <laughs> so you got back into racing and, uh, you were racing at the highest level. Yep. In masters. And when you won worlds was 2019. Yeah, 2020, everybody took off. So they told us we get to keep our title for two years. So I don't know. Oh, if that's, that's nice. I don't know. Does that, does that, Glenn, does that mean technically we're a world champion? For You're a world years? champion until the next world championships. That's correct. You get it for two okay. years. So we get to hold our title for two years. So I, I guess I'm a double world champion without having to compete once. If that, that kind of competing, <laughs> but it is what it is. We'll take it. Well, you mentioned that uh, you felt terrible at the world championships and you were Mm-hmm. And you were sick. Well, yeah. I mean, so I'll, I'll I'll move forward and then I'll back up. So five weeks after Worlds, I was diagnosed with um, upper bladder tract cancer. Then going back into the year, about May, um, in April and May, I started experiencing extreme fatigue and weight loss. And I had Sarah Fader is my coach, and I wanted to race the the 2019 season a little lighter. And so I was working on losing weight, but I ended up losing about 25 pounds that summer, not knowing that I had cancer. You know, if you, if you move forward, knowing I have the diagnosis, and then when you move backwards, all the symptoms were, you know, my cancer showing. So I had extreme fatigue, but 
when you're a master athlete, you know, Sarah's like, well, all my master athletes have fatigue. You're trying to win a world championship. You're working full time. So we just chalked it up to, you know, I'm training really hard. I'm working a lot. And, and my age, not knowing that I had cancer. Sure. Um, so I kept losing weight and losing weight. And I remember Sarah's like, you have to stop losing weight. And I'm like, I am not trying. And I would send her pictures of my plate that I would eat for dinner to show her how much food I was eating. Because I was basically not restricting myself at that point when I started just dropping weight like flies. I was like, this is crazy. I mean, I would lose like five pounds in a week. What was happening is your cancer gets turned on and your cancer is consuming six, 8,000 calories a day. And then you're training and burning three to 5,000. I mean, my body was just on fire losing weight. I mean, it was just daily. I was losing weight. I couldn't eat enough food. So I went into worlds. We, we did a longer um, period of, of rest going into worlds because I was super tired. And after, after we won the team pursuit, uh, Gail and I got second in team sprint. I got second in the, um, the 20 lap race, whatever that is. Glenn, help me out. A scratch race. Scratch race, thank you. <laughs> so I got so we we won the pursuit. I got second in the scratch race and, and second in team sprint. After team sprint, I I had an amazing day. Like I felt like I fi- I was like, oh, I feel really good. The next and we got our silver. We didn't really think we were going to beat the Aussies. They were just too fast. We were a half a second off of them, and we just couldn't make that time up. So we were we tried, but we still got second. Anyway, the next day I woke up with a really high fever. I didn't race points race until the next day. So I basically stayed in bed all day with this really, really, really high fever. I woke up the next morning, which was scratch race day, but my scratch race wasn't until, I mean, I'm sorry, the points race wasn't until 9 p.m. at night. So I was like, okay, I have all day to hydrate and feel better. And I just, I felt crappy. I still felt crappy. I showed up at the track. I just remember... Rich, I said, I warmed up and I said, my legs are completely gone. Like I have nothing. And he's like, well, do you want to race? And I said, yes and no, because I just knew, you know, my, my sweet, my, my a race is the points race. It's always been the points race. You know, I was pretty devastated because I still had about a 99, almost a hundred fever. I decided to start the race. The first sprint we went for, I got second. And then I pulled up to kind of let everybody go through so I could get in the back and rest. And when everybody pulled through, I literally like had nothing. And so I just struggled and struggled to even get back on the back. And so the race slipped away. The best I could do, I got third. So it was super disappointing. So when I look back, you know, it was just my cancer. It just... It was just devastating me physically. It's hard enough to recover. You know, I just thought, you know, that I just blew, that I just blown it all out. You know, I was like, okay, I had three races and that's all I've got in me. You know, it was the cancer. So then I came home and I ran a fever for, I ran a low grade fever for four weeks. And then my fever broke the day before Thanksgiving of that, of 2019. And I decided to go on the Hammer team ride on Sunday after Thanksgiving. 
And so we rode out to the, just kind of the normal Boulder route where we go to that little grocery store and everybody takes a break and eats and goes to the bathroom. And then we turn around and go back home. And I had a massive dump of blood in my urine. I mean, it was like, oh shit, this is shocking. And um, Susan was there and your wife. And I remember, and I had immediate pain. I mean, everything just, I, I did great. I went to the bathroom and then within 10 seconds, I had excruciating abdomen pain. I dumped all this blood. I mean, I was literally thinking I'm going to have to get an Uber to go home. So I got a Tylenol and, and a leave, took all of it and waited about 30 minutes because we were with a bunch of sprinters. So they were glad to wait a half hour. So we rested for about a half hour. <laughs> <laughs> What's really odd is I felt like a rock star right, riding home. Robbie and I led the whole way back. It was a, it was a headwind and he and I sat at the front almost the whole way. I felt great. And then Monday I woke up and felt horrible again, called my doctor, went in and she did a urine culture. It didn't culture, which meant it was probably coming from my kidneys. So they sent me for a CT scan, got that on Tuesday and Wednesday, they diagnosed me with upper bladder tract cancer. I had a tumor the size so just to give you understand what upper bladder tract is, it's it's the upper part of your bladder tract are your kidneys. I had a tumor about the size of a football on my left kidney. So your my bladder and ureters are actually clear. So the tumor manifested itself in the kidney. And then when you get the pathology, it's urothelio. So they knew that it was, they call it upper bladder tract. So I didn't have renal cell and renal cells a lot more hard to solve. So... That was the diagnosis. And then the January 8th, I had my kidney out, my left kidney, and 13 lymph nodes of 2020. And you've been uh, on any other treatment since? Um, yeah. So after the kidney came out, I had no evidence of disease at that point because all the cancer and tumors and lymph nodes were removed. So you wait eight weeks. And then you go on a short course of chemo. So I did four rounds of chemo, which is eight treatments. One round is two treatments. And you have two weeks on, one week off. That's a round. So I did four of those. I came out of that with no, no evidence of disease, one month post-chemo. So then what they do with your CT scans is they, after chemo, you, you get a scan month one. And if it's clear, then you wait two months. If that's clear, then you wait three months. That's kind of how the progression goes. So month one was clear. When I went back two months later, um, it showed that it had metastasized into my liver and my lung. So I now have a tumor in my liver my and my right lung and six lymph nodes um, are enlarged. And so then it basically, I was on um, chemo, uh, just regular chemotherapy. Um, I failed on platinum-based chemotherapy. So then you don't go back on that. They have to find something else. So they found a study for me, and I'm on a two-drug study with Keytruda and Saxituzumab, which is the study drug, also called IMMU-132. Interestingly enough, they give Saxituzumab to COVID patients. Um, hmm. So I'm on a two-drug combo now for a little over 20 weeks and my tumors have all shrunk. So now they went from the size of like a big marble 
to now we're down to P sizes. If I asked my doctor, can you <laughs> give me, you know, I need to, I need to understand the size. So I went from like a marble to a P. So the, the lymph nodes are stable. They are reducing, not as fast, but the liver tumor is reducing faster than the lung, but they're down to P sizes. And that's where I am right now. And I'm also doing some adjunctive treatment with some off-label drugs that include uh, metformin, medbendazole, I guess that's how you say it, and atorvastatin. They've been known to target the T-cell of the, of the cancer because chemotherapy and immunotherapy do not target the T-cell of the cancer. They basically just keep your tumors at bay, but they don't kill the cancer. I know you're a fighter. We're going to stay after this. How are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. Um, the Keytruda can be challenging because it causes skin rashes. I don't have it as bad as some. I have a little on my arm and my leg and a little on the left side of my chest, but it's manageable with hydrocortisone and just keep staying hydrated with lotion. The other drugs that they have to give me with treatment are um, dexamethasone. That's causing me to have a lot of uh, abdominal distress. So they lowered my dose of dexamethasone. It basically ruins your stomach biome and you have to up your enzymes and your probiotics or you basically just can't eat. And I have to, you know, you have to maintain your weight. So I'm not losing weight. I'm stable at 125, but I can't gain weight. I haven't been able to eat enough to gain any more weight. Um, although I like my weight right now, which is fine. I guess that's kind of a secondary, doesn't matter. So this new three-drug combo I'm going on is supposed to help. Well, with the inability to uh, eat more and possibly with the treatments maybe making you not feel well, are you still able to do any uh, athletics, any uh, exercises on the bike? Yeah. So I'm, I started training again six weeks ago with Sarah Fader. The first three weeks were just awful. My body couldn't handle the lactic acid. I could only ride for 30 minutes. I go in and out of anemia, being anemic. If I'm anemic, I can ride 20, 30 minutes. So yes, I can train. It's basically on a daily basis. On If I feel good today, then I'll do more. If I feel crummy, I just say, I can't, I can't do it today. My main issue with the medicine is, is nausea. And as long as I can keep my nausea under control, then I seem to do pretty good, but nausea can come on. Like I could be sitting here and in 10 seconds have a nausea wave. So you don't take the medicine, the anti-nausea medicine prophylactically. You just take it when you start to feel the nausea. And I had have a fast acting uh, Zofran now. So that's, that'll make you, that just kind of knocks you out. You just feel horrible until you get your nausea under control. Um, the other thing is just the anemia. Um, I can't do whey protein anymore. Um, I'm told to stay away from that. I can only do plant-based protein. So I'm doing some, you know, doing pea protein, but I can't, my stomach for some reason won't allow me to do a lot of volume with eating. So I have to eat more frequently throughout the day to keep my energy levels up. So the first three weeks were terrible. The last three weeks, my endurance is coming up. Um, I can ride now sometimes for up to 45 minutes and she'll have me do an interval session and I'm actually able to feel a little snappy and good. So a lot of it is, you know, I took basically a whole year off. Um, I rode a little bit last summer, you know, when I would feel good during my regular chemo, but now this immunotherapy, 
um, I don't feel quite as bad. And I just wanted to get my fitness back. So I'm six weeks into it. It was hard. It was kind of depressing the first three weeks because you're in a deep hole of no fitness. And I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't even tolerate the lactic acid the first three weeks. It would just make me nauseous. But now I'm kind of over that and I'm able to do more. And I get to start lifting next week. Nice. Yeah. It's difficult. I mean, it's, you just, and you, the older you get, it's all, you know, I've lost all my fitness, but I mean, all the pathways are still there. So just this last week, I've noticed, interestingly enough, like I can get my heart rate back up again. I can get my, my leg speed is coming back. And, you know, I thought it was going to take me months and months and months, but it's actually the way Sarah is handling it. We're just taking it in shorter increments and working on it instead of piling a lot on. And it seems to be working for me. Fantastic. I know you had mentioned to me in an earlier conversation about the importance of your team Yes. in this process and even some goals you've got for when you get strong enough. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yes. Um, so I race on Team Hammer and I would say, you know, hopefully I don't start tearing up. I mean, just an amazing group of people supporting me. They couldn't be there for surgery because it was right at the beginning of COVID. And, but just talking to people, texting, you know, people saying, I'm thinking about you, reaching out, just knowing that they're there. Uh, Rich Voss, he was passing through and he's like, I want to come see you. And, you know, we made time to sit outside 10 feet apart. And, and it was just great, you know, seeing people and just knowing that. So my goals I want to go to Worlds this year in, uh, in LA in October. And my goal is just one event. I just want to do team pursuit. I'm not going to focus on anything else. I just think I can only focus on one thing. You know, I told Sarah, I just, you just need to be able to get me fast enough so I can do 16 laps. <laughs> um, so that's the goal. And knowing that I'll eventually be around my teammates and then we have a goal. I, I'm goal oriented. I needed that goal. I did need to take the year off and let my body heal, but I'm ready now. And when I get on the bike and do 30 or 40 or 20 minutes, I just do it with complete intensity and passion for whatever she has prescribed. Even though it, 20 minutes might wipe me out, I'm getting a good solid 20 in or 45, whatever it is. Teammates are, they're, they're all amazing. I mean, just the support and the love and the reaching out, asking me how I'm doing and, and laughing because now I have no hair. So it's, you know, they all get to laugh at me, which I think if you don't laugh at yourself, what do you have? You got to poke fun at yourself too with your teammates and have friends. And, you know, I'm looking forward to being able to go down in the spring and be fit enough to do the chat, go to the reservoir and do the rides. You know, I may not be in the lead or whatever, but I just want to be around my teammates because everybody's so positive. And that's what drives me. And being a part of a team more so than going to Worlds and saying, I'm going to do the points race. You know, I've kind of taken that off the table for now. I'm just going to focus on one thing. Well, that sounds great. Did I answer all your questions? I think you asked me two. You answered everything and more. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's no surprise that you're fighting hard and have big ambitions. And I'm sure you're going to do it. It's great to hear. Well, you'll probably be surprised to know that... Um, Another little story I'll tell you. So I started riding dirt bikes this past summer. 
dirt bikes doesn't require you to pedal anything. So it's not quite as physically intensive, but I've always wanted to ride dirt bikes. And my now husband, Will, and I've been together for a little over four years. I just said, you know, I got to start working on my bucket list and I want a dirt bike and I want to ride, learn how to ride. So I also feel that I have another focus that I'm passionate about and I want to race enduros on a dirt bike and I want to race on the track. I ne- I felt like I needed a new passion as well and a new focus. I'm really excited about the dirt bike. I am a complete novice and a newbie and I wanted a new challenge. Um, you know, the physical challenge of getting in shape and then the physical challenge of learning a new sport. I'm so happy. I, I can't even tell you I, that I've got both in my life. That's great. I, I've never ridden a dirt bike. I remember as a kid seeing them, you know, I'd be out there riding my little BMX bike and these guys would come by on their little motorbikes and I always wanted to do that. So that sounds fun. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, uh, we just do trail riding. It's all on, we don't do anything cowboy. We just, everything's marked trails. I don't know. I just, it's been a different, it's been an interesting challenge and something else to focus on rather than just my, my being, being quote sick. Like I hate to say I'm sick. I don't like to say that word. I, I just am into disease management at this point. I have stage four metastatic. It's supposedly not curable, but I can go into remission. I'm going to stay on treatment forever. So at this point, I just have to manage my life and be happy. And, and like I said, I want to work on my bucket list. Well, it sounds like you're doing it. Well, the only last thing I had on my list, and you can surely add on to that whatever you want, and Glenn as well, uh, I'm curious to know from whatever part of your life your wisdom would come from, what advice would you give to your fellow masters athletes? You know, I really believe in a good coach firmly and one that you can communicate with. I found Sarah Fader and she's an awesome fit for me. She is amazing and just being able to communicate with her. I think for me, it's just kind of touch and go just because of my situation. But coaching, having the right fit for a coach and also really looking at your diet and chemicals in your diet and what you're consuming and just working on being more clean. That's what I'm doing. You know, trying to, not trying, I'm cutting out any kind of processed sugar. I still eat sugar through fruit, low glycemic fruit like berries or low. And I'm migrating towards a, I've already taken meat out of my diet. I don't know that I'll be a complete vegetarian, but I'm definitely going low meat, uh, just chicken and fish. Um, I think it's really important. All my research and everything I've learned through this cancer is you just got to cut the chemicals out. You know, you put chemicals on your skin with your shampoo and your makeup and everything. And I don't know how I got bladder cancer, but it's, it's a, it's an environmental cancer. So I picked up something environmentally that made my cells go out of whack somewhere along the way. So just cleaner living. Um, I cut out soda five years ago, pretty much just drink water and green tea. Just I've done a ton of research on different teas and green tea is pretty much the only one. Black tea was, is too acidic for you. Most people don't know that. Having a team and teammates that you can lean on when you're not feeling good 
so that you can contribute to what they need and they can contribute to what you need is the biggest, those are the biggest things that I have going on and what I'm doing in my life moving forward is just a good support network, your family on board. You know, my, I've just recently married, um, my husband's on board with everything I'm doing and you just got to have that support network, especially if you're going to race and be a master and race at the world level. And I think for me moving forward, I'm going to not take myself so seriously. <laughs> <laughs> just, you, you just got to wake up every day and be happy with what you have because you don't know when you won't have it anymore. And that was a, a huge lesson that I had to learn this past year that, all the stuff you have, all the clothes, all the furniture, you can have all that and still die and, or not feel good. And at some point, you just need to have content and just be content with your life and where you are. And if I go to Worlds and win, I think that will be awesome. If I don't, it will still be awesome because I have cancer and I've gone to a world championship. And not many people will put themselves out there and do that. And think that they can do it or dream that they can do it. It's for me, it's like, I'm going to do this. I may not be the fastest person out there, but I am going to show up and compete and give you a run for your money. And if you beat me, you beat me. And I'm not going to be sad about it anymore. You know, it's just, it's just about being the best you can be. And with my cancer, you know, I have some limitations and, you know, I don't know what my body is going to let me do or not do. So I just have to have a level of contentment with whatever the outcome is, is what the outcome is and not beat myself up. Yeah. I think everybody have limitations of some sort or another. So I think your advice works for all of us. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the cycling community. I love the track community. I can't wait to go to worlds and see everybody I haven't seen in two years. It's just, it's going to be fun. I can't wait to go to Colorado Springs and, Hopefully they'll open it up and let us race or, you know, just go ride with my teammates. And yeah, I think contentment is a big thing for me. Just being happy with what you have because you just don't know when it'll go away. And if you told me 20 years ago, I'd be the one getting cancer. I would have said, you're crazy. There's no cancer in my family, nothing. And I don't fit in the box of bladder cancer. And it's just, my doctor just said it's spontaneous cancering. You you don't know where you picked it up or what you did along the way, but now you got it. Right. You have to deal with it. And it, it probably took a solid six months or more just to process how I wanted to move forward. You know, I, I decided that I don't like to say, you know, I have cancer. I just like, I, I just kind of don't talk about it except for my friends. And I don't mind talking about it, but I don't talk about it with strangers. You know, I don't tell people, you know, if they ask me why I'm bald, I might say, well, I have cancer, but most people don't ask. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for that. That's valuable advice for us. And well, hopefully um, somebody will get something good out of it. I think the biggest thing is pay attention to your body. If you're losing a ton of weight and you just feel really, really tired, even though you're a master athlete and training really hard, you know, looking back, I probably should have been to the doctor by May or June. Just, just to maybe have some blood work, but I didn't. It just, you know, I, and who knows how long I had it. I, I think everything probably started, I would say maybe January, February, I'm guessing. 
So it'd been mass, it had been growing for about a year probably because they said it was not it was not slow growing it was fast growing. So my doctor thought I'd probably had that cancer for under, about a year or under. Well, that's a good tip as well. I mean, you don't want to spend your whole life thinking maybe you have cancer and worrying about it every day. But no, but weight loss weight loss is a you know nobody told me that weight loss is a huge trigger for cancer and I can put it all together now looking back. But no woman in menopause should lose 30 pounds. But nobody told me that because I didn't go to the doctor. You know, that's the, I mean, Glenn could probably talk about that. You know, losing that much weight in that short amount of time. I didn't think, I just didn't know it was a cancer trigger. But now I do. If one of my friends that's my age or older said, I just lost 30 pounds. I'd be like, have you, are you trying to lose weight? If not, go to the doctor like now. Number one thing that yeah. I tell people all the time is just unrelenting fatigue and, and weight loss are your two primary symptoms for cancer. Yep. And nobody, and, and, you know, I didn't talk about it. I mean, only Sarah and Sarah didn't even know that, you know, we, we didn't, I mean, now she knows, but um, we didn't know, you know, it's just, and I don't know that my diagnosis would be any different. We just would have caught it earlier. It was still already too big that I, I couldn't keep my kidney. It had just encompassed the kidney. Um, so, but yeah, it's just interesting. I didn't know that. And so I would say, yeah, like Glenn said, those are the two big things that now I know, but I didn't know back then. Well, sometimes we don't learn the medical lesson until they happen to us. Cause I had that same experience with the atrial fibrillation. You know, I didn't pay attention to the symptoms. Um, I, I'll get just, you know, I was thinking when I was falling off the back of a field, I can normally stay with it. I'm just out of shape, you know, and it's very common for competitive athletes to just think that they're not in good shape when there's something medically wrong with them. Yeah. I mean, exactly. It's, it's kind of like it whirls. I just thought, I didn't think I was sick. I just thought that I had just, I just, I had enough energy to do four, three races and not four, you know, but looking back, I was well, not well. Well, the fact that you performed months. as well as you did is really impressive too. On top of that. Thank you. I, looking back, I can say yes. <laughs> yeah, it really is took me a long time to be able to go, wow, that's, I, that was pretty amazing. Yes, it was. And looking forward, I'm very excited because um, I'm planning to make rolls again this year if we have it in LA. And we're looking at, uh, we're doing, looking at take, taking out the Team Pursuit title as well this year with our 65 plus group. That'll be exciting. Don't you love Team Pursuit? That's just, I, that's come to be my it, favorite thing. That's why I told Sarah. I only want it to is a lot of fun. That. It really is because you're working with three other guys and you're just you're all at your limits the whole time. And, and you're just trying to make it work for everybody. So you just you'll turn yourself inside out to stay on that team, and make it work. It's fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm super. And I love you know, Gwen is on our team now. So three out of the four of us are on the same team. So it's fun. And all of us have won world championships now. So it's just going to be, I'm super excited about it. I hope that, um, I'm, I'm hopeful that I can have enough fitness. I, I really do feel like I can. I have a lot of, you know, a long runway this summer if I just focus on that one thing. So I'm, I'm really excited. I hope they have it. I hope we, can I hope we get it. the track back down here. That'd be nice to be training on a track instead of outdoors. <laughs> I know. I'm like, how are we yeah. going to do this? <laughs> but let's hope we can get over this pandemic and we can have a life back to normal once again. That'd be nice. Mindy, thank you very much for sharing your story with us, giving thank us some you. advice. Yep. Hopefully somebody can glean something positive or learn something from it. I appreciate your time, both of your both of you. 
Uh, I love racing with both of you, as you know it. I've raced with you guys many, 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 many laps. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And when Mindy goes, they go, yeah. they don't realize how strong you are. And I'm like going, you got to chase her down because she's going she's gonna to lap the field. <laughs> oh, it's always fun racing with you, definitely. Because you're always going for it. A lot yeah, of guys well, you, the field. Yeah, you two, you two are my favorite wheels to ride on by mm-hmm. bar none. I, if it's your Joe or or your will, Glenn. I I will get on it every time and go for it. Absolutely. As best I can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I look forward to that. Yeah, I do too. Are you going to race on the track anymore, Joe? Well, when they put track on Zwift, I'll be right there. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, well, that I might do. That could be interesting. When are they going to put Zwift on track or track on Zwift? I've seen that track on Zwift. Before I ever saw anybody running on it, I always thought, I wonder if that's going to be, you know, for bikes. But no, not yet anyway. Who knows Who knows the Zwift people? Maybe some one of you guys needs to call the Zwift people and tell them we need to have, that would be, uh, now I would do that on Zwift, Joe. I would do that. Well, you guys would need to let me know because I'm not on Zwift. So if it if it's track on Zwift, somebody needs to ping me and say, hey, we'll, we'll get girl. There. We'll definitely let you know when the velodrome is on. That would be a lot of fun. Thank you again, uh, Glenn and Mindy. And it's it's been great chatting with you. Mindy, I I hope you won't mind if I stay in touch and see how things are going. And I guess I'll I'll hear from you or Glenn about worlds. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. All right. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye -bye. you guys. Thank you so much for listening in to our discussion with Mindy Stevenson. If you head over to wiseathletes.com, you can send us a question to address on the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you are on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That would be a great help. Thanks again.